All right, this is a paid commercial advertisement from our sponsor, Flash Talking by MediaOcean. This ad was written by the Markitecture AI, so the copy was written by the AI, and I'm going to read it for you. Hey there, Markitecture listeners. It's your favorite ad tech guru, Ari Paparo, here to talk about our sponsor for today's episode, Flash Talking by MediaOcean. Now, you might be thinking, Flash Talking? That sounds like a superhero with a really specific power. But let me tell you, Flash Talking is actually a powerful ad platform that helps brands and agencies deliver amazing digital experiences to their audiences. With Flash Talking, you can create and deliver personalized ads that really resonate with your target customers. And the best part, you can do it all in one place thanks to MediaOcean's seamless integration. So if you're tired of juggling multiple ad platforms and want to streamline your digital advertising efforts, head over to MediaOcean.com slash Flash Talking to learn more. Trust me, your customers will thank you for it. That's MediaOcean.com slash Flash Talking. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Markitecture. All right, welcome to the Markitecture Podcast. I'm Eric Caparo. I'm joined today by Eric Franchi and our special guest, Antonio Garcia Martinez, the CEO and founder of Spindle, as well as an author, as well as a podcast host and guest. Antonio, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Ari. So before we get started, a quick intro or promo. So this week on Architecture TV, we have a great interview with Walter Knapp, the CEO of Sovereign, which is an SSP that focuses on smaller accounts. Very interesting stuff. They're one of the innovators to have a flat rate SSP, so no percentage of media. Super interesting. All right. Now let's get into it. So Antonio, people know you for your book. They know you for being sort of an ad tech person for being a non-antech person for having sort of a wide variety of interests uh, that you talk about publicly what brings you back to ad tech as a ceo so you're the ceo of spindle what what made you get dive back in and is it right to even call it ad tech uh yeah no no it definitely is i mean it's in web3 which i know ari you don't believe in so let's just get that out of the way. i don't i don't but you're wrong you're polite. totally wrong <laughs> you're <laughs> totally wrong <laughs> And in fact, like, what what are we? What is there even to talk about in Web two ad tech anymore? Isn't that shit already settled? I mean, it, it, everything's been built. Oh, like, who's even who's even investing in it? I mean, this, this is like a joke. Oh. I mean, it's you know, it's like the American Empire. It's still there, but we all know its days are numbered. Anyhow, um, so yeah, the part of it is for starters, why crypto and why Web three, and then why marketing within that. I think is probably the way to to order these questions. So one is you can believe the whole crypto vision of everything going on chain and what that means in some decentralized way. You know, you don't even have to buy all that. If I can just exist in a world in which I don't have to think about what Google and Facebook are doing, that alone is already reason enough to do the entire Web3 vision. Even if it ends up, as I suspect will be the case, replicating a lot of the dynamics of Web2, but it's just not going to be like Zuck and Sundar in your face basically telling you what's going to happen. As long as we just get to that point, it's already worth doing. That's my apologia, so to speak, for crypto. And then why, why MarTech or AdTech, whatever you want to call it, the reality is part of why I got crypto pilled or did spindle is that like, I, you know, I, I have friends who work in crypto. They made introductions, started talking to people, you know, the head of a region for a major billion dollar crypto company. And they had no idea what their LTVs and CACs and retention rates. So like the most basic user growth metrics, they had no idea what was going on, like at all whatsoever. They might not even know what an LTV is. Okay. Much less know what the number is. I'm like, I, I don't understand how this is possible. I now understand why it's possible, but at the time I didn't understand it. And the problem is, and I don't know if you want to do a follow-up question, but like part of the problem is that, and this is as much feature as bug in Web3, they financialized early, right? There was an existing business model, which is token go up, right? And that business model did work for a number of years, right? If you were a big project, you'd launch a token, it would go up. You'd get liquidity that way. The funding docs were even written such that VCs would get exit liquidity through the token, not through equity. Same thing with Spindle, by the way. 
And so there was already an existing liquidity model because everything was super financialized. If token doesn't go up, right, it turns out it's not a law of nature that token goes up. Then you actually have to start thinking about unit economics. What are my CACs? What's my LTV? What's my ROAS? And people just hadn't asked themselves that question until roughly a year ago when Spindle was founded. Now they are asking that question and Spindle is helping answer that question. That's kind of the state of marketing. <laughs> so is the way to think about Spindle is it's analytics for Web3 companies or is the way to think of it as analytics using Web3 for anything? It's actually attribution. It's attribution. Yeah, I was about to say yeah, attribution. It, it, sure. In this, it, in this crowd for your audience, we can make that distinction. In Web3, that distinction gets lost, by the way, and we have to constantly draw that fine line. But no, it's the model. Is, we're basically branch or apps flyer. For, so is it for Web3 companies or is it for everyone using Web3 technology? Ideally, the latter, but in, in reality, right, the second, more the former. What I mean by that is, like, how to spend the work. You click on a thing. There's, like, a, a tracking deep link, just like an app flyer branch. You click on it. You go to a landing site. You know, you log in with your wallet, and then you eventually do something on chain. And by do something on chain, I mean you buy the NFT, you trade a cryptocurrency, whatever. Stuff happens, and the database of record is on chain. What Spindle does is, instead of firing those conversion events to branch or app flyer via mobile SDK, or instead of firing the Facebook pixel on the website to Facebook saying, hey, the user did a thing, what happens is we go and index the, the magic of the blockchain is that you go and index that data and we have a common database rather than like when I was at Branch, nothing against Branch, but we were sitting there and you're just ingesting millions and millions and millions of events a day, which I know everyone thinks that crypto is like super inefficient. Dude, guess what? Web2 ad tech is inefficient as fuck, right? In the sense <laughs> of like, we're, we're all sitting here reconciling states to each other all the time. It's like, why doesn't everyone just write it to the same database and we all read it from the same database? How about that brilliant idea, right? And so that's part of what led to Spindle. It's like, well, actually, if you were to legitimately rebuild some part of Web2 ad tech using blockchain technology, where you'd start actually is with attribution. And for the reason I just cited, which is the app doesn't have to fire all these events to Facebook and Google and Branch and AppsFlyer and 600 other people. And when I want to go target somebody, I don't need to pull data from 100 data sources and create an audience segment and then reload that back up something else. You don't need to do all that. Um, it actually exists in a common database called the blockchain. So in many ways, actually, the blockchain is actually better as a marketing stack. And I think over the long term, Web3 ad tech is going to be a lot more interesting and sophisticated, frankly, than where we are in Web2 right now. I know Ari is having a stroke, but I do. I'm think not, okay, let me, just, let me just defend myself before I get more questions in, which is yeah. I, wrote, I wrote sort of a pretty epic thread about the Web3 nonsense. And because nonsense really bothers me when people just spout nonsense like, you know, hey, Web3 is decentralized, so it's better. That's nonsense. That's not a actual argument. And in particular, this idea that it would decentralize all of media, um, which I believe is, you know, speculative at best. So that that's my position on Web3. On everything else, on your business, whatever, you know, I'll, I'm open-minded. I'll see what I see. Well, I think the way to sell you on Web3 is not decentralization, which I agree is almost like a religious. It is. It, it's a religious belief that decentralizing, it's like Bology, right? It's like this, this cultish religious belief that if we just decentralize everything, everything is better. And I have nothing against religious beliefs, uh, to be blunt. Uh, we can talk about that, actually, Ari. My read <laughs> the Jewish conversion. The way to sell the Aries of the world on Web3 is by citing the fact that it's interoperable. Like, I write to the chain, and somebody else can actually read from the chain, and that come to a conclusion. It's permissionless. Like, one thing we're doing is there's these things called quests, which are like offer walls, right? Like, they offer user virtual goodies, and then they convert on chain. Like we can measure those permissionlessly. What we mean by that is like we can just go and measure like parts of the funnel without getting everybody involved. And we can just it actually it, it actually does work. Yeah, yeah. No, I um as usual, I'll sort of like be the be the voice of, of moderation here. So, you know, the the core of what we work on um is web two, but uh, we actually have a, a couple of um web three ad tech investments in the in the fund. And I think the way you, you framed it is ex is exactly right. 
One question for you, Antonio, is like, what's the state of advertising and marketing in Web3 right now, right? Because we're kind of like in the crypto winter, you know, the NFT market is, you know, sort of like plummeted through the bottom. That's presumably affecting, you know, overall like marketing activity. So what, what are you seeing as, you know, the source of, of truth for, I would guess, a lot of the, you know, hardcore Web3 marketers? So in terms of marketing, marketing trends, it's actually been good for us. Like as, as the crypto markets have gotten worse, we've gotten more inbound. Because again, everyone realizes they actually have to measure spend now and actually build. Oh, so they're more on ROI focus. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for us, it's, I mean, it's bad for the ecosystem for us. Selfishly, it's been right. good because all these big companies are like, holy shit, like we, <laughs> it turns out ROAS has to be positive. We can't just right. give away NFTs and tokens and hope users show up and have this run this massive negative, you know, float between rewards given out and actual monetization. They actually have to start making it positive. So obviously we don't want to stay in this state forever, but I think if we get into a crypto bull market now, everyone would forget about the lessons and just go right back to tough and go up and it would suck. So we need like a year more of pain. Everyone needs to adopt Spindle as a measurement platform and then we can have a bull market again. That, that would be frankly, from my point of view, ideal. Just of, uh, you know, the gods of crypto, if they're listening, that's the, give us like one more year of bear market and one more year of cycle. <laughs> and then let's go straight into the, you know, Bitcoin 120K all the way. But what we're seeing, I mean, more broadly is like, wh what is the state of Web3 marketing? I'd split into two, two fractions. One is there's web, what I would call Web3 native marketing and native advertising. You know, things like NFT drops. If you don't know what that is, like one of the weird things of Web3 is that you've got this thing called a wallet and anybody can deposit and, and message it and send stuff to it because it just exists on chain. And so if you're willing to pay what's called the gas fee, which is kind of the network fee, sure. you can just send stuff to a user. And a, a lot of what they've done is, and again, Web3 people don't talk about it this way, but they're basically ads, right? You, you send somebody an NFT, it kind of shows up on the wallet. Although it tends to be below the fold and the click-through rates are terrible. So it's, it's really kind of crappy advertising. And then there's also things like referral programs that in Web 2 is kind of a sketchy affiliate thing. But in Web 3, it, it's, it's much more common in DeFi. For example, if I'm a DeFi whale, so I spend a lot of money trading cryptocurrencies. I give you a link, Eric, you go trade. It's completely common and accepted for there to be yep. like a 10, 20, 30% rev share from all that user's trading fees to me <laughs> yep. forever, which yeah. is like a lot of money actually. Cause the other thing about web three LTVs are much, much higher than web two. So when you see the DAUs that are like orders of magnitude lower, it's like fine. But guess what? The LTVs are about an order of magnitude higher than they are in web two. Like it's common to see a wallet with 50 K sitting around in it. When like the average amount that an American has in a checking account is like 400 bucks or something. Right. But your average web three user will have like, you know, the value of a Tesla just sitting in their little hot wallet, sloshing around, creating and punting on NFTs or whatever. That's actually very common. So there's like the Web3 native marketing stuff that's all kind of weird, but kind of interesting. And then there's what I'd call the hybrid marketing stack, which is people trying to spend money or make Web2 media work, um, spending money on, on Twitter ads or Facebook or organic posting, or even crypto Twitter is actually super big, and then hoping that it kind of converts. And if they're using Spindle, they can actually measure it. They can like click on a link on the Twitter thing. The person converts on chain, they can tie it together. But most people like they don't actually measure it. So they just kind of Open, you know, spray and pray, and then hope something happens. But there, there isn't what we're working on. It's like that iterative flywheel of like, oh, I target an audience. They come in, they do a thing. I learn a new thing about the audience. I get more third-party data. I target them again. Like that old flywheel hasn't kicked off in Web three yet, and that's part of the reason why it's still kind of stuck. And that's what we're trying to fix. Are there mainstream brand, brands and agencies spending money in, in the stuff? We've done pitches with like the top five like holding companies. I, I want to name names. Not that it matters, but they they all have like a Web three innovation guru team internally and you know better than i do how agencies work right like they'll do yeah. little experiments nike does nft drops it's the cool thing to do they don't measure it particularly they don't measure it at all frankly and 
I, yeah, the spend by the standards that you and I are used to on the Web2 world haven't gotten up there yet. Yeah, like, yeah, it's experimental yeah. money. It's experimental, yeah. Yeah, the canonical examples of the past couple of years were like Nike, Adidas, and Porsche. Um, you know, so like big brands that did some cool stuff, did did it once and, you know, TBD on, on where it comes back. So you talk about, you know, sort of like wanting a, another year of the bear to, to, to build, so to speak. Um, where, where do you think we are in the cycle? Because a lot's happened, right? FTX, 3AC, you know, Coinbase getting sued, the regulatory stuff. Do you think this stuff is largely behind us and some sort of new cycle is beginning and could have like real implications for Web3 marketing? Or do you think it's just like still we're sloshing around at the, bouncing around towards the bottom, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, NFT volumes are low, DeFi volumes are low. Yeah, I'd like to say, oh, there's been this amazing resurgence. I don't think that's true. I mean, I think a lot of the, the bad mojo around FTX is over. The, the regulatory hurdles um, with uh, Gary over there in DC are definitely very serious. Uh, you know, to be honest, I don't know how much of that spells the death or the a threat to crypto, or it's just U.S. crypto that's going to be impacted, right? I think it's public at this point that A16Z is opening an office in London, very intentionally. They're doing the crypto startup school for the first time next year in London, not in LA, where they just did it this year. And so I think the, the UK could stand to gain a lot from the U.S. being dumb about crypto. So that that could be a thing. I think a lot of people, and I've heard this sentiment, say that the NFT world and, and a lot of the Web3 world is really just an adjunct of gaming at this point. It's all gaming. It, that's, the, that's the product market fit, and the rest is, is not really real. Is that any truth to that? I think there's a seed of truth to it. Gaming and Web3 is interesting because unlike DeFi, right, with DeFi for the decentralized finance, so it's this whole, it's basically replicating all of Wall Street on chain. For, right. for reasons that might seem unclear, if you like Wall Street, why are you doing this? If you don't like Wall Street, it's like obvious. But in any case, <laughs> it's, it's basically producing all of Wall Street on chain. So that's DeFi. That is obviously natively on chain in the sense that like there is no user action that matters that doesn't happen on chain. So an attribution solution like ours that uses the chain as a, as a source of truth works perfectly in DeFi. Let's move to gaming. There, the world's a little bit weirder. There, what you see is you don't see Web3 and then you don't see just pure Web2. You see Web2 point something where the something is either 2.1 or 2.6 or something. And what I mean by that is like, either it's like a totally normal Web2 game. I mean, for example, I think Fortnite just announced that they're going to use, I forget whose NFTs or adopt NFTs. You've got Fortnite, which is like, it's basically like a super popular standard Web2 game. Oh, and that by the way, you can buy this thing called an NFT. And who knows in like the user flow, how crypto native it is. They probably issue you a wallet. Like you probably won't even know that you're on a blockchain when you're using Fortnite's NFT product, which is by the way, potentially how it should be. One of the, I think the legitimate complaints about the consumer experience on Web3 and part of the reason why it hasn't taken off is that it's hard to use, right? Like I remember when I first tried to use a Web3 game, I won't name the name, but it was like, it was basically impossible to get to like an end state where I used it. Like the UX, like literally if you had shipped this at Facebook and I was there, Zuck would have had you murdered, right? There's no way that you could, <laughs> could have shipped this onboarding flow. It's like, are you trying to maybe not use the app? Like it's literally like, this is impossible to use. I think that's, that's, that's changing. Like, so Reddit, for example, now has profile pics that are NFTs. I've got a, an NFT profile pic. You wouldn't necessarily know that you're on chain by using, you're like, oh, I don't know. I went to Reddit. I went to Little Market. I bought a thing and like it all just works and whatever, but they are on chain and you're, you have a wallet and you can, you can go into the UI and get your seed for it. Like all that stuff. It's, it's as crypto native as anything. Most users won't use those aspects of it, but it's, it's as crypto native. So anyway, a lot of these games are going to be built that way in which the crypto part of it is just like a fraction of the value transfer. What does that mean for ad tech? Just under that for a second. Well, for us, it's a little complicated, right? Because like, our magic is, is measuring the stuff on chain. We don't want to go out and reproduce apps flyer or games. Right. I was just, I was just on, a, on a podcast with the head of gaming for 
AppFlyer and, and then the CEO of, of GameSite, which is a PC console version of, of AppFlyer. And it's like, it would be both dumb and suicidal to try to go after AppFlyer and like reproduce, you know, gaming app install tracking, which at this point is like a solved problem. Like we're not going to do that. But what we bring to the table is the on-chain part, which they don't have because data in from blockchain is both embryonic and kind of hard, right? And so what we could do is like into that data flow, we can inject all the on-chain parts and how we do this, it's not quite clear. You know, do we post custom events to AppFlyer? Do we, I don't know, who, who knows how that's going to actually play out at the end of the day. But the gaming world is a little bit more unclear because it's a little bit more hybrid. They're like, there's stuff happening on chain, but the entire game isn't on chain typically. And so, yeah, it's a little bit TBD. Uh, but just to answer the question, like, I, I don't think it's all of NFTs. I think NFTs are very natural. Like trading card games, Magic the Gathering is an NFT game effectively, right? But it's like in physical space as a physical card. But, you know, right. they get they get speculated on. There's like the one magic card from the certain pack that like is worth $10,000 or whatever. Guess what, dude? That's like, that's like board apes basically, right? There's like all these NFT projects in which people punt around and trade these cards. And yeah, it has a utility within the case of the game, but it's, it's, it's assumed a value that's way beyond the utility in the game, right? And so um, I, I do agree that NFTs are adapted to gaming, but I don't know. I think, you know, th there are artsy, there are artsy NFTs that people actually appreciate and display in their homes. And to, I mean, you know, it's funny when <laughs> people were kind of like, shitting on like nfts and it's like oh it's just like it's like it's like a you know there's there's no long tail it's only a few elite collections people do it as conspicuous consumption and there's probably all this like you know money laundering and it's like oh so it's like the regular fine art market is what you're saying <laughs> like, like, like the guy who buys a like the guy who buys a rothko do you think it's any different than the guy who buys a board ape it's just the guy is just you know, 40 years younger, but it's just, it's the same. It's exactly the same thing. There's probably money laundering going on and ill-gotten funds. And it's obviously like a showy thing that a lot of people look at either a Rothko or a board Ape and say, oh, I don't like it. Why would you pay $10 million for that? Here we are, right? So. Yeah. Uh, going, going back to attribution, because um, I, I like what you said that attribution's the, I don't know if you said the most appropriate or first appropriate use case. Because in the traditional attribution world, AppFlyer, et cetera, there, there are some serious flaws to the way they operate, um, like the self-attributed networks and, frankly, Apple, ATT, cutting off enormous amounts of signal for them. I'd assume that when you think about your business, you think you're immune to that sort of problem, that there would never be someone big and powerful enough to cut off the attribution or to self-attribute on the blockchain. Am I thinking about that right? Yeah, for now there wouldn't be. I mean, I think it'd be diff very diff it'd be very difficult to imagine or a Google or a Facebook because by its very nature, again, the decentralization thing is partially a religious impulse, but it's also kind of partly true in that it really is the case that it'd be difficult. I mean, the only behemoths you have is maybe the chains themselves, right? If one of them went rogue or something, maybe they could work that way. But just to address those concerns for a second, right? Like the the business of pulling the plug, right? So ATT is basically killing IDFA and then browsers rejection cookies is basically killing the traffic on web two and web three. What the key thing for, for attribution is basically identity. What do I mean by identity? It means the person who's top of funnel and the person who's bottom funnel have to agree on a name, a namespace for the user who came in and did a thing. And if, if you can't do that, then you can't calculate, you can't calculate anything, right? You, the, the CAC you're spending on top of funnel stuff and the revenue that you're getting, the LTV you're getting from the down funnel stuff, you can only do calculate that fraction if you can actually join it in some way. And that's what basically Apple killed for a bunch of reasons that are probably not worth going into. Um, yeah. In Web3, that's that would be much harder to do. And in fact, what we're seeing, and in fact, we're happy to see it, by the way. Like, one of the, the magical things we do is joining Web2 to Web3, and that's important because Web2 is never going to go away. But I, what I think would be much more interesting is for the wallet address, which again is like this unique string that identifies kind of your, 
your entity inside the blockchain world, right? If that became the new IDFA, right? If that became the new namespace for attribution, well, that would be amazing, right? It would mean that you'd have you'd have a publisher like a wallet or a questing platform or some social network. You're starting to see social networks built on chain. That becomes a wallet ID, and then you can track that through the entire funnel. The user has total control. They know what data is associated with their wallet ID because it's totally public. If they don't like it, they can spin up another wallet very easily, right? Um, I think they're ne- they're going to be incentivized not to do that because that wallet will be associated with user behaviors that'll be rewarded, right? Like if you consistently use this app or retain this NFT, you have rights and privileges that you wouldn't have if you were a different wallet ID. And that's going to incentivize people to stick to that wallet ID. But if they really want to, you know what? You can just say goodbye. And unlike in Web2 in which, yeah, you hit the little opt-out thing for GDPR, but is your data really deleted? Do you really know what's going on? Of course, you don't know what the hell's going on because it's super murky and not transparent. In Web3, that's not true. The user can actually completely see what's associated to the wallet. From the marketer's perspective, if, if someone like if someone big and powerful like Meta were to uh, attribute their own conversions using the using events that happen on the chain, well, the marketer could just look and do their their version of the attribution. I guess it's all on the chain, right? That's uh, right. You know. Um, so, uh, I just, I w- can I say one more thing about the as yeah, what, if we're nerding out about attribution and blockchain? The other thing that I think the blockchain improves upon. Is as you know, like there was always this talk about MTA. In fact, we, we literally had a conversation with a big Web3 company right now. They hire, another thing you're seeing, by the way, is Web2 ad tech people going into Web3, looking around and saying, what the fuck? Why, why isn't there attribution? Why isn't there data? Why isn't it? Which we love because then we can show up with like the solution or at least a basic V1 solution of the problem. But um, one of the problems why multi-touch attribution, right? That was always the holy grail. Oh, let's have multi-touch. Why did it never really take off? Because attribution, if we're being very cynical after the, the third comp drink at uh, you know an ad tech conference is that like attribution doesn't actually tell you causal truth. It doesn't actually tell you why this user converted. It basically tells you, do I pay Facebook or Google or App Eleven or some other network? And that's the only reason why attribution exists because it's coupled to a business model called CPA, which after many many years of iterating from CPM and going down the funnel, CPM, CPC, CPI, now we're at CPA. It's basically an input into a payment scheme. That that's all attribution really is in the web two side. If we're being honest, and the way that payment works, I can't pay both Google and Facebook. Even if they both legitimately causally contributed to the conversion, there's no way I could actually ever really do multi-touch as a business model. Well, guess what? In Web3, you can. Because you have programmable money, and here I am talking my book here a little bit in the sense that part of what we built as the attribution system is an on-chain smart contract that pays out the person that we credited for the conversion, right? And that payout contract can pay many people, <laughs> right? right? So if if this podcast was a Web3 native podcast and I issued a link or you posted a link in the notes to this thing. And then the user also saw a tweet and then the user also came through a wallet. Guess what? Everyone could eat a little bit from what is, you know, the CAC that the advertiser is willing to pay for having generated that user. Everyone sees all those touch points. Everyone sees the actual realized revenue. So you can actually see, okay, there's no monkey business going on. Like it turns out, yes, this, this was real user value and everyone can get paid for that. And you actually can have multi-touch attribution. So right now, Spindle supports first touch, last touch, last what two touch and like we've got all these various models but at some point i think it'll converge to a world where in fact you do realize the final holy grail of marketing which is true multi-touch attribution right because the advertiser could impose a smart contract as part of their purchase a- advertisement per they could say here's here's our io or whatever the web3 version of an io is and you're paid based on an agreed upon smart contract that does mta or whatever right and for those who are familiar smart contract is is literally imagine you put a little bit like literally a function on this public database. It's not just a database, like something like the Ethereum blockchain is basically a decentralized computer, right? What it means is I put code on chain, all the nodes in the network execute that chain, 
and if it executes that smart contract, and if the smart contract says, "Hey, anyone who upstream of this user, uh, you know, drove this user, pay them two percent of the eventual realized value," and the computer just does it, right? There's no Facebook or Google sitting there doing it; like it just happens, and the entire ecosystem makes it happen. You know, it, it, code has become law in the sense, like this, this is the way it is, and um, that opens up a lot of possibilities. And again, you you can imagine a world in which you do have an entire media ecosystem functioning in which you don't need a Google or a Facebook in the middle of it saying, this is reality. This is what happened. This is how you paid for the user. See? Don't you want to invest, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be. Actually, are, are, aren't you uh, an LP in uh, Orange Funds? So you are indirectly an, an investor. I am. A, I'm indirectly an investor. Uh, there you go. On or- you're on Orange Podcast. You're on Joe Rogan. Uh, it's true. You're really, true. you're really good at explaining this stuff, which I, I want to mention Chaos Monkeys. So I, I think it's undoubtedly Chaos Monkeys is the best book ever written about ad tech. Is, is there even any competition? I don't know what the second best book would be written. I was about to say, it, it's, it's easy to be superlative if you have zero competition. <laughs> so yes, strictly speaking, I agree with you. It is the best book written about ad tech. It's also the only book written about ad tech, but that's fine. <laughs> it's not. For, for those who have not... <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's a lot of sort of nerdy stuff written about ad tech. But for those who have not uh, read it, A, you absolutely should. And B, it's not about ad tech. It's about right. Antonio's experience uh, building Sorry. an ad tech business, um, yeah. working at, you know, the, the biggest ad companies. And it's a it's an incredible read. Well, I, yeah, yeah, that book can be read several ways. And I know that the personal side of it got me into a little bit of trouble in there we won't get into. But uh, and to be honest, that was mostly injected by my editor because my editor was like, this needs to be like a Michael Lewis level liars poker type <laughs> thing. So like literally crank up the Hunter S. Thompson voice as much as you possibly can, which seemed like a great idea in 2016. Maybe it wasn't such a great idea in 2021. But in any case, um, but in there, there, there is a decent amount of ad tech stuff. Like I explain oh, yeah. how Google AdWords work. I explain how like custom audiences and all this identity matching stuff happens. And so it, there's a decent amount of ad tech content in there. But yeah, it's definitely not like a, an MBA business book on ad tech, which my God, imagine how boring that would be. There is a book, I think it's called Clicked, that was written by, um, uh, I think, Mike Smith, uh, who's at Hearst. Um, that's probably the second best ad thing. <laughs> so just one quick thing on Chaos Monkeys. It's about seven years old, uh, seven years since it came out on Amazon. I-, I think the second half of the book sort of positions this question at Facebook at the time, which is, should Facebook monetization be open, meaning exchange-based with other sources of demand coming in? Or should it be closed, which is the direction they ended up going um, with with everyone using the Facebook platform? It, looking back, did they make the right decision? And like anything they, that has struck you in the last seven years that you think should have been different? Yeah. I mean, it's funny that that was a big decision at the time. And you know, this only matters to ad tech geeks, but this is an ad tech geek podcast, so we'll go into it. It is. Yeah. The, the, the debate at the time. So, okay, my claim to fame at Facebook is that, you know, I had worked at now forgotten uh, ad tech startup called Adkami. And I had built like a Google AdX bidder like circa 2009 or 10 when a lot of that RTV programmatic stuff was was taking off. Wasn't that long ago, but you know, Yahoo Right Media was still a thing, right? Like things are still pretty basic as late as 2010 in the ad tech world. But I knew that there was this very real programmatic world. And inside Facebook, I remember, so I was the first product manager for the targeting system to the extent we had one on Facebook. And I was just shocked at A, how bad it was and how Facebook data was not very good. Like your everyday Facebook data is, does, is actually not commercially interesting. Like Zuck isn't listening to your conversations, not because he's particularly morally upstanding or even the technical hurdles, which are significant. But the reality is that like 
my little blather actually isn't commercially interesting. <laughs> right, right. And you'd have, right. To, you'd have to listen to reams and reams of it. Like me just like knowing what website to go to or knowing who I know on, on Facebook is way more commercially valuable than anything I would ever say. And then it's like, so it's like, dude, what do we do? There's this whole outside world of data. We need to start integrating with that. And so that's how it kind of started. And like now if you go browse the internet and you see what you browsed inside Instagram or Facebook, like we built the first versions of that, okay, in 2011 because like the IPO was coming up and Facebook's revenue was not taking off. And Cheryl was just screaming at everybody saying, I, you know, you start fixing this shit, motherfuckers. Like start building <laughs> shit and start fixing this because the IPO is coming and the revenue isn't growing and we're all going to be fucked. So start shipping new shit. And I just raised my hand and said, well, you know, we could build an R2B exchange. And back in the day, you could actually say, raise your hand, give a compelling spiel and get, you know, be given three or four engineers and completely royal an entire ecosystem. I remember, you probably know some of these, but we used to have basically every DSP, MediaMat, like everyone, AppNet, everybody would come in. Yeah. They'd come in with their senior C-suite teams, this major thing. They show up, I'm wearing flip flop, the ratty sweater and like one engineer. And I showed them the team, which was literally like, through. was like, oh, this is the FPX. Like, no, no, you're joking. Where's the real team? I'm like, no, bro, this is the yeah. entire programmatic effort of Facebook. We're, this is how we're opening the walls in the garden to like one third of the internet. And th this is your way in. There's nobody else. And, and so I, I was that guy. I was the guy who showed up in in uh, at Facebook in a blazer to meet with you when I was at AppNexus. <laughs> and and you gave me a Facebook sweatshirt. That I still have yeah, yeah. that I don't, I don't wear. Yeah. And um, it was very surreal to see your ragtag team. But, but that, hold on. But that ragtag team generated billions of dollars of revenue in the span of uh, a couple of years. And so yeah. answer your question of like, was it a mistake? I think in the short term, I was right that turning on targeted spend via programmatic was probably was was obvious it, and, and it was a success. I mean, FBX lasted much longer than after I left because they yep. they kind of they kind of couldn't turn it off. Right. Everyone sort of demanded that level of access and over the longer term. I suspect I they were actually correct. What the missing pieces that I had is that at the time, the Facebook ad system basically didn't work. The ads buying UIs were terrible. There was no attribution system, by the way. Mobile newsfeed ads had just started. So like the pieces were just missing. And I, I frankly, from what I'd seen inside the, the ad system, I was not confident they could actually build it. And so I'm like, and, and also I just wanted to like crush Google. I'm like, dude, I don't know. Why don't we just go out there and like compete with Google head to head? And that whole Lumascape of logos, let's just create that same thing. Not to be blunt, the, the people who are on the other side of me, I mentioned some of them inside Chaos Monkeys and Brian Boland. It's not because they were particularly smart. And front of, frankly, some of them had zero product vision whatsoever. But I think just culturally, Facebook doesn't partner, you know, as a peer with outside companies. And they are very suspicious of anything outside the Facebook sort of empire. And so, you know, from their point of view, the FBX system was this weird advertiser that had like impression by impression level access to the Facebook ad system. And everyone fucking hated it. Right. And the advertisers loved it because of course, oh, now I can actually finally target inside Facebook and mid $30 CPM in a landscape, by the way, that had like 50 cent CPMs as the average. Right. So they'd win every targeted buy they could do on Facebook, at least initially. Right. So they loved it. But Facebook's like, what the fuck? What do you mean they get in, in like, what? I don't understand. Like, why are we even doing this? Right. So that was the sort of tenor of the conversation. And again, I, it, they were correct in the long term, not because they had some like brilliant vision. It's just like culturally, they just organ rejection, reject uh, an open ecosystem. Totally. Well, we have to take a break. Um, we'll come back in one second and talk about the Zuck Elon Cage match. So we'll stick with us. This is a message from our sponsors at Attain. If you work in marketing or advertising, you know ROI and outcomes have never been more important. 
And as the deprecation of third-party cookies looms, you're probably thinking about how to make up for the loss of that crucial data. Good news. Attain makes driving, measuring, and proving outcomes easier than ever, even in a cookie-less future. Attain is a commerce data company that helps marketers leverage privacy-first data to drive better outcomes across media activation and measurement. Their commerce data is 100% opted in, available in real time, and provides marketers with visibility into purchases made across all categories, all retailers, and all touchpoints. What does this mean for you? Whether you want to gain new customers, retain existing customers, or simply increase customer lifetime value, Attain's opted-in commerce data allows you to more efficiently and more effectively drive outcomes. With Attain's data, you can measure and optimize in real time based on real sales data. The best part? Attain's measurement and data solutions are available with major partners like the Trade Desk, LiveRamp, OpenX, and many more, making it easy to get started today. Visit attaindata.io to start browsing commerce data for free. So we, the most exciting news of the week is that Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg appear to be heading towards a Brazilian jiu-jitsu cage match. And I'm very excited because we actually have the best possible panel to discuss this because <laughs> my my co-founder, has, my, my co-host Eric has been doing jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for decades um, and is really into it. And um, our host, Antonio, has worked with Zuck and can give us an appreciation of how likely he would be to kill a human being. Eric, you want to start? Yeah. So, number one, I can't believe this is real, um, but it it <laughs> seems to be it's actually seems to be real. So uh, Elon responded to a tweet by somebody with an AOL email address as their username, um, you know, said essentially sort of let's get in the cage. Zuck posted on his Instagram story, send location, which, you know, again, if somebody is trained and they say send location, you generally don't want to see that. Um, th that means they're, they're ready to go. An hour before we started recording this, there was a tweet, again, I think it referenced a TMZ article that said Dana White spoke with both of them yesterday and he said they are 100% serious and he's trying to figure out how to make this happen. So A, I cannot believe this is happening. B, I you know think both of them are amazing founders, entrepreneurs. Zuck will absolutely destroy Elon, yeah. and he should not go anywhere near Zuck. Like, like Zuck is legit. He trains with the best in the world. He competed. He won medals. He has an aggressive fighting style. And Elon admittedly said the only exercise he gets is like lifting his little babies in the air. Granted, he trained back in the day, but listen. Zuck is 15 years younger. He trains every day. He did Murph a world-class time over Memorial Day. And just the cardio alone, he's going to wear Elon out. And, like, Elon's got Twitter. He's got Tesla. He's got SpaceX. We need him, like, alive and functioning. <laughs> just Elon, it, it won't be embarrassing. Just say it was a joke. Just back away. Like, that's my advice to him. Antonio, do you think Zuck would actually murder him? Has he murdered someone in the past, Zuck? No, I, and I don't know him deeply well, but I, I, you know, I did work for him and I, I saw him in the earlier days of Facebook. Zuck is a very serious person. I know that he, somebody once doubted his claim that he could do a hundred pushups and he said, I'll bet half your equity that I can do it. And the guy's like, oh, no, no, thanks. <laughs> Forget I said that. That was said location 10 years ago. Okay. Exactly. No, no, no. So, so, no, so, so Zuck in the, in the secession sense of the word, not that I've even watched it, but I watched that one scene. He's a serious person. He's a killer. Yes. Yes, he would. And so I'm curious, Eric, so you are a BJJ guy. So have, have you, you've seen his training videos. Is he like for real? Is he, is he like, is he like a, 
Like, yeah, yeah. He he's very clearly trained, like well trained. Um, he has a real game. He fought like a good white belt. And I don't say that in any derogatory way. He's just like had a very aggressive, like go, go, go type of thing. Um, and uh, he he pulled some moves. So, uh, yeah. And I mean, clearly he's got the money to do anything from a training standpoint. And, you know, sort of I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd about this stuff. And I've seen him, you know, training with the best in the world. He should not go anywhere near Zuck. Meaning Elon should not go anywhere near Zuck. Zuck is, he is legit. He's taking this serious. All he, all he follows on Instagram are fighters and they all interact with him. So, yeah, I'm super impressed. Well, you know, Elon's uh, principle of Max Lulls that he said on Twitter is that like the most amusing outcome is the most likely. So in this case, the most amusing outcome is clear that the fight actually happened. But then imagine, yes. like, like, you, like you said, what if human space exploration is set back 50 years because Elon gets his brain fucking bashed in by... by exactly. <laughs> I, would pay a lot of, I would pay an almost unlimited amount to watch this on people. Like Dana said, Dana White. Dana White said it's going to be a hundred dollars if it if it happens, and he's in all the I'll pay all the proceeds. Pay of course, we're going to have a, a watch party. It would last three seconds, realistically, because Zuck would you know take him down, you know get behind him, put him in a rear naked choke, and it would it would be over. He would tap. Hopefully, he would tap and not and not get choked out. Um, but this is crazy. I think so. The polls should not be like who wins. The polls should be. Like, is this thing actually going to happen? And I peg that as like absolutely not happening. I think this is this is crazy. The fact that Dana White actually spoke to both of them, crazy. I would take the other side of that. I I say there's a north of ten percent chance that this actually happened. Actually, oh my god. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, didn't didn't Romney once get in the ring with somebody? Like this isn't totally unprecedented. I mean, not even mention Emperor Caligula in the first century Rome or something. But yeah, yeah. Mitt Romney did an exhibition bo a boxing match. Uh, with somebody or something, and there's a scourge of him. I'm not, I'm not even joking. Huh? I'm, I could picture. I could actually picture it. I don't. I don't remember. I. I do think that it happened. Um, I mean, Mickey this is Rourke probably up this whole career. This like he got into Mickey Rourke was so confident in his boxing skills, and then you know basically messed up his face, messed up his acting career, et cetera. Yeah. I, I feel like we need to talk about something ad tech related. So let's let's talk about the next story. So. Um, uh, so this one's uh, pretty niche, but interesting. Trade Desk um, integrates ID5. So um, I think ID5 is sort of a friend of the pod. We, we recorded from their event. It's an alternative ID. Having the Trade Desk uh, integrated, and they announced this at CAN, is kind of interesting. I, I guess I'm interested mostly in Antonio's point of view, because you're leaving behind the idea of IDs, of cookies or deterministic or probabilistic IDs. Do you see this as uh, as kind of like uh, old news, not interesting, or do you think that there's still a world where IDs are going to proliferate? Dude, I think it's so old that I'm I'm like cheating and reading the ad exchanger articles. I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. This ID, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh god, the Euro it's some European crap. Imagine that the we 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 have an identifier thanks to the Belgians. This is great. Um, <laughs> look, obviously Web two is not going to go away, right? Like I don't think it's dying. I just I don't see there being a lot of room for. I don't know, progress or innovation there. Like they're just cutting up the spoils for whatever's left after Apple yeah. ends up colonizing uh, these various other media. And so Eric, you're an investor. Why is this an exciting announcement? Yeah. So I'm an investor. Um, I think that, you know, they're, they're not sort of like calling a, a small pie. This is still a giant pie of like web two. Can't we keep calling it web two, right? Sort of like, you know, digital advertising <laughs> that that they're, you know, they're they're partnering up to help power. This is great. Number one, as an investor in the in the business, um, they've done an incredible job building out the supply side. So you know they're the number one identifier globally, ahead of 
trade desk, UID, ahead of live ramp, ahead of ahead of Lotomy. And you know, the next step for them to really become like the standard is the demand side. So partnering up with TTD, i.e. the largest DSP, offering the ability for marketers, advertisers, agencies to start to use the ID5 um, ID starting in Europe is, uh, is I think, a great next step for the, for the biz and I think a, a really good signal. And then hopefully, as they mentioned in the article, this is step one to going to you know, other markets, i.e. the US, and then ultimately other, other formats. So it's, um, it's a big deal. It's, it's great news. So congrats to them. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I shouldn't have been so dismissive, right? Like, obviously, like a one percent improvement. No, I like, I went to advertising; it's still like hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Like, it's just the fraction is exactly. just that much bigger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the next one's close to my heart. So, NBCU and Freewheel announced a marketplace. It's an NBCU marketplace for connected TV inventory, but that's powered by Freewheel. Um, and I uh, was formerly an employee of Freewheel, so I have some perspective on this. Um, I think uh, w- this is interesting because um, Christian Baja, who I interviewed on Architecture TV, and you should check out his interview, um, talked about how NBC itself is sort of investing very heavily in becoming a major hub uh, for connected TV. And this announcement puts them in the center of the ability for advertisers to reach audiences on different connected TV uh, publisher properties. And had Freewheel and NBC both being owned by Comcast enables that. I'm just giving my opinion here, which is the connected TV landscape is very dominated by big publishers like NBC and Disney. Um, and this is sort of more evidence of that sort of dynamic as opposed to the web world where um, it's so fragmented that no one in open web really has much clout to push anybody around. Eric, do you have any thoughts on this given that you've invested a lot in CTV? Yeah, yeah, I, I, um, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, you know this put this probably puts NBC in an interesting position, um, just vis-a-vis competing with some of the larger CTV players like a like a Roku, like a, like an Amazon, just because they should be able to offer like a sort of more inventory and B a, an omni-channel approach. So um, it's a, a a good use of the of the free will tech. All right, we're we're out of time today. So um, Antonio, where could people find you? You have a podcast of your own. Oh, we're not talk- talking about more ad tech gossip. That's such a shame. I, it's funny. I have no idea what you got in this world anymore. I would know. What do you got? Looking at, I, well, I was looking at your list. And I'm like, huh? Yahoo still exists, huh? Like I saw like a Yahoo. <laughs> Yahoo no idea. They still even exist. Like, oh, interesting. Um, and then the CTV thing, I, I admit, is interesting. I remember before I switched to Web three, I thought like, are there other formats or other media that haven't been completely, you know, programmatized like audio or TV or something? Wouldn't that be interesting? And I guess. I guess that's still happening, right? Like TV and that is yeah, really well, yeah. welcome to welcome back to Ad Tech 2023. Yeah. CTV and Yahoo <laughs> and Identity and uh, Google's still around too. You know what's <laughs> what's actually what's funny, um, AGM. You, you you won't remember this. We once traded DMs, and at the time, you were thinking if you were going to do Ad Tech, you told me you know you were like AR VR. That could be like you know. Oh yeah. Next Greenfield, which, um, you know, again, it's still looming out there. Um, and, uh, you know, again, seemingly like not, not a lot going on. Yeah. The metaverse. I mean, yeah, it's just thinking back then, I, like I said, I was probably thinking about like, what are new formats or what's new media that's kind of Greenfield that obviously yes. will end up having a publisher side an advertiser side, an identity, some form of attribution system and some form of targeting system, right? Like th- those are the food groups that you need to have like a functioning media ecosystem. And I was like, okay. Where are people spending time that that and that, that doesn't exist yet? I think podcasting was in the mix. 
I did some podcasting stories for wider and I did a deep dive on podcasting. There still is prog- programmatic audio, though it's not nearly as programmatic as you, as you might think it is. And then, yeah, I guess AR, VR was kind of happening. But yeah, I don't know. Why hasn't VR... Ha- well, maybe we're at the end of the show. But like, I don't... Yeah. We can easily talk for another hour here. Um, I'm not being a great moderator. Um, we, we should have you back. We should talk about other things okay. besides web yeah. this time. All right, Antonio, thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Eric, always a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks, Antonio. Okay. Thanks, everyone. See you guys. Thank you for subscribing to Marketecture. New interviews are added every week at Marketecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.